Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food facts series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guests, I will take a moment to let you know that you can subscribe to my podcast on YouTube, hit the red subscribe button, or on your favourite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I will also mention that, although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure, or prevent injuries, disease, or medical conditions and is not a substitute for advice from your own health professional. Today I am here with Lisa Murphy. Several years ago now, Lisa founded a travel and adventure company called Big Heart Adventures. As you will hear, this is no run-of-the-mill travel agent. Lisa and her team focus on ethical and responsible travel. Travel that involves a challenge, like trekking and hiking, They have dedicated travel groups for women and fundraising for charity is a big part of what they do. Like her company, Lisa has a big heart and giving back to the community is integral to Lisa's life philosophy. Hi Lisa, welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Lisa, you're an avid and enthusiastic traveller which ultimately led you to found your own travel and adventure company, Big Heart Adventures. So can we talk about your journey to starting Big Heart Adventures? So first of all, what did you do prior to that? Well, I was a travel agent. I still am a travel agent. Uh, I have been for 10 years, but I wasn't always doing travel and that kind of thing either. I think I had... um, three years at uni doing social science uh, and I ended up in the community services field for on and off I guess for about five years and I then thought well you know what I don't know if I'm making enough difference in this job maybe I should jump into something like education because I'll have a grassroots touch point with um, obviously shaping the future of young people so I thought you know I'll jump into teaching and unfortunately um with all the great energy and empathy that I have for people, I wore myself out so fast as a teacher and I ended up with yeah. angel fever at the end of my first year. Oh, yeah, and that just ended it for me. I really didn't get enough, um, I guess, love for um, being a teacher to go back full time. And someone said to me, oh, you know, you travel so much and, you know, you love your travelling. Why, you, why don't you become a travel agent? And I thought to myself that would be really good. And I, I don't know how it all happened so fast, but within three months I was... Um, you know, working at Flight Centre back then. Um, And since then, I've moved agencies a few times before I finally decided that maybe I should uh, start my own. Was there for you a light bulb moment or was it just a, you know, you were thinking, I love love travel, I want to move away from teaching, I still want to be involved with people. Was it a, um, a process or was it just a, this is what I need to do? Um, weirdly, I think it might have been my first day on the job in the agency after I'd been rushed through, you know, three weeks of crash course training on how to be wow. a travel agent. Even though it's just, it takes months to sort of find your feet with it. But on the first day, someone just walked in and I just sat down with them and it felt like I'd been doing it my whole life. And my wow. boss at the time said, 
far out, like your confidence and your um, comfort level, even though your the system stuff is still, um, you know, I'm still learning all of that. And the, the, the role of consulting just felt really right for me. And so, yeah, it's always felt like a really comfortable place for me to be. And it's a lot more comfortable than being in front of 30 kids um, in a classroom. So yeah. and also I think more comfortable than perhaps even working with some of our most disadvantaged families where I just felt that I couldn't make enough difference in their life back then um, as a young sort of social science, social work student. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel like um, I can bring more joy to people's lives by organising holidays for them uh, and also yeah. sharing all the joy with them as well if they happen to go walking with us. So. Oh, that's brilliant. So it seems like you've brought all those skills together. Could you tell me, because I love the name of your company, Big Heart Adventures. So how did you come up with that? Ah, <laughs> over a little bit of time, uh, we were brainstorming um, how to uh, come up with a name that was going to reflect not just, I guess, adventuring and travel and, and walking, but also Uh, what kind of impact we can have on people's lives by sharing, walking and trekking and touring with people. And initially we had thought we would set up uh, solely as a fundraising um, company where, you know, all of every single trip that we offered would would have a fundraising component to it. Uh, So we we thought that uh, fundraising and um, corporate donation, which is another part of the business nowadays, is uh, our way, I guess, of sharing uh, to other communities, other charities, uh, and yeah, basically organisations that uh, can have a different kind of impact than what we can just by travelling to certain places in the world. So, so yeah, initially we had some very funny names that were, we were trying to describe what we wanted people to feel by joining us and it was all sorts of things like feel good trekking but it just felt like, oh, that could be taken two ways. Uh, and, you know, like we just <laughs> we wanted people to feel good about what they were doing with us. So if they felt um, as though you know, they were able to open their hearts to other communities, other people and other countries. Yeah, we felt that it was, um, that was the right name, Big Heart Adventures. So, yeah. 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 Oh, that's a, it's a great name. I love it. It really, I think it really does get the message across because when you're organising a trip for somebody, that, as you said earlier, that's a happy thing. It's a joyous thing. And so probably a lot of people with that mindset are thinking about, sharing that joy with others and you know they go on a holiday is is quite a privilege like it's a lucky thing to be to do so if you're lucky enough to do that it's also nice to share it so in fact this is probably a good point just to talk about the um, charities you do support could you tell us a bit about which ones you support and how you go about doing that Sure. So initially, um, our very first trip in 2015, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to count back now how many years, 2016, no, 2016, um, we uh, had an all-female team head over to New Zealand to complete uh, the Queen Charlotte track. And at the time, I really wanted to start off by supporting, uh, I guess, a young woman um, who, for whatever reason in her life, had found herself in a caring role and um, the whole idea I guess behind that initial trip was to recognise that women are often the caregivers in all families regardless of whether it's a a sibling with a disability, an elderly parent, a child with a disability, it often uh, works out that the female is the sole caregiver even when perhaps in in a relationship. So 
we wanted to recognise a young woman in Adelaide who was uh, looking after her younger brother with cerebral palsy. She was missing out on time at school. Uh, she was part of a tuition program. And so we sponsored a term's worth of tuition as a result of the proceeds of that uh, trip. And so initially we really wanted to start with the corporate donation side of it. So we just wanted to say, yes, for every trip that makes X amount of money, we can donate back into certain causes. Um, and idealistically, that can't always happen because some of our trips have departed and had very little left over. So we have, um, in, yeah, less even than, than what we could imagine. But for fundraising, um, we introduced that to sort of help, uh, I guess, uh, pump up the profile of some of the lesser known uh, charities that we've worked with since then. And we, I think in the last four years, as a, com as a combined amount, so fundraising and corporate donation, and probably 90% of that is uh, fundraising, uh, is $30,000, over $30,000 so far, yeah, just in the four years. And I think we've just been incredibly lucky to have some very uh, enthusiastic in and motivated fundraisers. Yeah. And then we've also had, I guess, a couple of really uh, successful events as well that we've uh, run to... Um, to create a team feel for those that are trekking and travelling with us before we've departed. Oh, fantastic. Oh, there's, yeah. there's so many things to talk about. Um, you've mentioned a few times already trekking and hiking. So your trips involve an element of physical challenge. So what, what's the idea behind that? Ah, so my experience of physical challenge with trekking has always been I guess, a, a cathartic experience for me. It, it has always been something that uh, shows me that my body is way more capable of, uh, of what I think it's capable of, if that makes sense. And also my mental capabilities are stretched and I think that's also helped me to develop confidence and resilience uh, to, um, I suppose, tackle new things that I perhaps years ago would never have even tried or, or even wanted to try, probably out of pure fear, but also out of uh, lack of self-belief as well. So for me, having that physical challenge in trekking is just so important. I mean, if it's too easy, there's no personal growth. Mm -hmm. And I think I really want to role model that to other women in particular. And also we have, you know, opportunities to role model that to men too, because we really want particularly women who've, you know, not been able to experience that feeling of achievement, accomplishment, and perhaps are lacking that self-belief the empowerment and the confidence growth and all of that that comes from a physical challenge that they've overcome is just massive. So yeah. if it doesn't challenge us, it doesn't change us. And so we use that saying a lot. Um, and also too, it is about getting people outside of their comfort zone. So yes. we use the term a lot when we're out on our training hikes as well, that, you know, if, if this was comfortable, you wouldn't, you know, you just wouldn't, see the benefits yeah. yeah you've got to have a little bit of uncomfortableness in there a little bit yes. of physical effort to to feel that sense of growth afterwards so yeah so I am a bit of a I suppose um I'm always conscious that I we need to have that in our experiences there is definitely a lot of scientific research backing the connection between exercise and mental and physical well-being so obviously you're you're tapping into that um, and yes. also you mentioned resilience and that that is such an important attribute and, and especially for women I think um, and of course combining it with a great holiday is um, a really <laughs> excellent way to build it 
Uh, plus, I think the other great thing about hiking and trekking is that you do get to experience a country in probably a more intimate way. You go places that you may not otherwise access if you were just, you know, going in hotels and things like that. So that's another really nice side of it. And another thing you say on your website is that traveling encourages an open mind and empathy and cultural understanding. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Definitely. So for a lot of people who maybe haven't traveled a lot, um, and I'm not saying this is the case for everybody, uh, but there is certainly an element of uh, we are very comfortable in our own existence. We, If we're living in our own little bubble and not really experiencing life differently, we really don't have any empathy for people who may be living in a developing country who need to walk five to 10 kilometres to receive an education every day one way and things like that. And, and, you know, thinking about how food is sourced and how different countries source their food. And then you come home and sort of think, well, I just go to Woolworths or, you mm. know, Coles and Foodland and whoever, and I just load up a trolley and walk out. I think it's sometimes just those basic experiences of being overseas and seeing how other countries do things and how other people live their lives that opens up a... a I guess a little question mark in people's heads about, wow, have I really thought about how easy I have it here or have I, you know, thought about how um, the water that comes out of my tap does not need to be treated and, you know, I don't have to be at risk of a lot of disease uh, because of the lifestyle, you know, which fantastically we have here in Australia. Yeah. So that that experience of something new and different um and even maybe in the process of that, experiencing a little bit of discomfort in that because of culture shock and, you know, yes. other things that come with it, there is a, a heightened sense of appreciation and gratitude, but also an awareness that life is not as easy for other people. And sometimes if you're, you know, a kind-hearted soul, that might make you rethink who you donate money to when you yeah. come home. You know, it might give you a different sort of focus on charities that you've otherwise never thought about supporting or yeah, and maybe even having that dinner table conversation, you know, one night where someone raises something really, you know, um, I guess hurtful about another culture and you just can kind of say, well, actually, I've, you know, have you been to that country? Because mm. last time I was there, you know, um, you know, there was certainly a few other issues going on that you might want to inform yourself about. You know, it's that education and open-mindedness yeah. that uh, travel offers, I think, that no internet time, no documentaries and, and reading books can really bring yeah. you. I think experiential learning that, um, that travel offers. And I, I'm very lucky. I have um, a very uh, travelling set of family, if that makes sense, my yeah. other generations um, beyond my immediate family. And, uh, you know, he always used to say to me, my great-grandfather was that travel was the best education you could ever have. Yeah. And I think that's still to this day just such a relevant quote and so true. So, yeah, I yeah. wholeheartedly agree with that. I think some of the best experiences I've ever had in my life have been travel-related or you know, um, trekking, stroke, travel, exactly what you do, the combination of the two. I mean, they're the things yeah. that you remember in, in life. And, and as you say, they are the things that open your mind up to, to other cultures and, and give you a sense of empathy. Um, Absolutely. Sometimes too, I think it can also give people a sense of placement in terms of the things they worry about at home. Yes. And, and, you know, sometimes we have people that experience high levels of anxiety before they travel and um, it could be over things at home and, you know, things that they're trying to manage in their day-to-day -day life, including their own mental health well-being. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes after having travelled to other countries, sometimes it helps to put some of those, uh, I guess, non-clinical issues 
um, it puts it into some perspective for them yes. and it really does help them to manage, you know, what their worries can be about, if that makes sense too. Yeah. And yes, I'm not saying that's a clinical environment, like a clinic, clinically depressed person, but um, certainly for people that experience that environmental um, mm. anxiety, I guess, yeah, it's, it's really helps for people to put some worries into perspective too. Yeah, and not only being in another country, but I think just stepping away from your own life as well helps. And included in that is stepping away perhaps from, you know, Wi-Fi and social media and all those things and just having a a clear headspace for a while too. Yes, absolutely. I think we encourage off-grid time even yeah, on great. our three-day weekenders we just we we want to see people conversing and connecting and unfortunately as much as social media has its benefits for people in different um, countries and long distance sort of communication the short distance communication is what we're lacking and a lot of people are I guess you know feeling disconnected even with all of those you know yeah. connections media. so we love to encourage people to um go off the grid and certainly when we're overseas, we know that there's a lot of temptation when we, you know, head to a restaurant for dinner to get the free Wi-Fi, but we actually have a policy of no phones at at the table. It's just, Mm. you know, we're sitting here, we don't want to be rude to our guides and our hosts uh, who are taking the time to share their country with us. We really don't want uh, to be sitting on phones and scrolling through screens. That stuff can be done, you know, away from everyone else, um, you know, at night or, you know, in your rooms or whatever. But it is, yeah, it's so important to disconnect. I think, yeah, it really contributes to a lot of <laughs> poor mental health as well. I agree. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, studies also support that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so the flip side of disconnection, connection. So your uh, travel is usually in groups of people. So do those people necessarily know each other before the trip? Uh, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't and it really depends on whether they have attended any training walks with us if it's one of our multi-day trips overseas but having said that we do gather strangers together for our weekenders where often there is no training attached to a short sort of trip like that and often everyone gets on the bus and within an hour um, it's like they've known each other for a while you know an hour of conversation and getting to know each other and introducing themselves and and feeling comfortable with the people that they're about to spend the next three days with is really lovely to watch. Uh, so, yeah, it, it happens. Um, I, I don't want to sort of um, jinx this, but we've never had a group that hasn't gotten along with each other. Everyone's sort yeah. of like-minded and really supportive and um, everyone has their own little challenges perhaps during some of the walks and everyone just seems to know when to give space, when to ask if they need anything and and you know I mean we're hoping we're hoping to role model that for everyone anyway as as, you know as facilitators but yeah it's just lovely to see how everyone really does um band together and and it makes this lovely sense of team so yeah we've been incredibly lucky I think the group cohesion is so important to a Mm. successful trip and yeah everyone just seems to bond well obviously you're you're playing a role in that because you're setting the parameters um but every time I've done a trip like that, I've gone into a group situation where I may have known a couple of people, but not all of them. It's always been a really wonderful experience. And I think you you sort of hit the nail on the head where you said it attracts like-minded people. So mm. you'll always find something interesting about somebody. And yeah, I've always loved um, doing that. In fact, my sister and I are about to go for a trek for three weeks um, in Nepal and we won't know anyone else on the trip. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. 
Yeah, I would be too. And I'm always excited when I sign on for group trips because all I think is who who am I going to meet this yeah. time, you know, and, and what's their life story going to be and what where have they travelled in the world that I haven't been to that I might not know about. And I think, yeah, there's, there is an excitement to that. Uh, yeah, which I think, which, yeah, I'm almost excited for you just thinking about that. So, yeah, it's 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 part of that lovely process of travel. So It yeah. is, isn't it? And I remember the first time I did something like that, I was in my... 20s and I went to Africa and I went on a trip by myself and I mean I joined a group but I was by myself and I was so nervous <laughs> I was so worried about you know what if I don't bond with anyone but but as you say it just attracted all these like-minded people and it was one of the best things I've ever done so that's yeah yep fantastic fantastic and I've got quite a few good memories of similar things where I just think yeah if you if you don't sometimes put yourself out there it just you're just not going to get the reward. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I understand too, a lot of people feel, especially if you're a little on the introverted side, that, you know, it can be really overwhelming to join a group. But I often recommend to people that do struggle with, um, I guess, that overload of sensory, uh, you know, and communication that's just a little bit too much. Go with a single room so that you can get that lovely time to yourself at the end of the day. I mean, having a roomie is fantastic and often I have bonded so closely to some of my roomies that we still talk every week, you know. I, so I think there's the benefit of having those lovely bonds with a roommate but then I think too if you're the kind of person that really needs their downtime away from people at the end of the day, um, you know, consider a single room just for your own well-being. <laughs> yeah, and then you get the best of both worlds really, don't you, in that Correct. scenario. Yeah. Um, so when you uh, run trips uh, in um, foreign countries. I know you do some um, trekking in Japan. How do you go about uh, forging partnerships with local communities and finding, for example, a guide and things like that? Yeah, so sometimes we do travel um, to destinations to work directly with people that are already living in those communities. And for Japan and um, more recently, we're doing for Spain the same kind of thing where we are initiating contact with local organisations to, I guess, enhance the impact that we have from an economic tourism and economic perspective. So there are occasions, though, where we do have companies that we uh, contract for services, and sometimes they are globally owned. So they're not, um, when I say that, they might be a Canadian adventure company who has presence in, you know, 30 countries, that kind of thing. So in some, and of course, they hire their local guides. So we're always guaranteed, um, yeah, fantastic people that way as well. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say for half of our trips, probably about half of our trips, we do have local um, guides in place where we have an excellent relationship with um, the destination management companies that we, that we use. And in Nepal, that's the case as well. Um, but yeah, certainly for some of our other destinations, we use companies that have a fantastic reputation and known for also their own sustainable tourism projects. Excellent. So we, yeah, we use companies that aren't giving a hand out, but a hand up. Um, and I think that's really important because we don't want to sort of be, you know, I suppose attaching ourselves to volunteerism or um, uh, I guess the, the handout per se, the Father Christmas, you know, here comes all the privileged tr tourists yeah. handing out. It's, it's just not that. It's, it's more about empowering communities to improve what they feel they need to improve rather than us telling them what they need yeah, to improve. Yeah, of course. In order to enhance their quality of life. And, yeah, we do work with uh, companies like G Adventures who often have G for good projects. 
uh, Intrepid Travel are the same and also World Expeditions. There's um, a number of them that are fantastic uh, at doing that. And so we love to align ourselves with um, suppliers or companies that have a similar value system to us. So, yeah. so we do that, um, yeah, for probably about half of our trips. And then the other half is, as I said, local guides that we've yeah. um relationships with. yes so, sure because yeah. i mean you need the local guides in two senses the the local knowledge and obviously the language is the other thing too yeah, so i think that's pretty thing important very yeah, to yeah. be leading a group of people in a country where you just do not speak the language and yeah i wouldn't want to put myself in that situation so i wouldn't want to put any of our lovely hosts who often escort our groups um we don't want them to have that kind of responsibility either. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do think that a lot of people looking to travel are looking, you know, more looking at more than just the itinerary. They're looking at the company and do they support sustainable travel and do they support the local community? And and I think that's really important to a lot of travellers. So, um, and yeah. obviously you're doing that. So that's great. And yeah. can you tell us about the types of trips and some of the trips that Big Heart Adventure offers? Sure. So we have um, two different types of treks. We have our Wiseman walking program and then we have our challenge trips. Our challenge trips welcome men and women. Um, and of course, the women's uh, trips are just the Wiseman walking ones. And we tend to offer the challenge trips that are often a little bit more um, physically demanding and mentally demanding. It may involve camping and it may involve at times possibly some high altitude trekking, but not always. And so we've pitched those so that, you know, obviously we can get some men involved because they are often seeking a little bit more challenge than women, although I'm not speak, I hope I'm not saying that in, in a too general sense, but um, often it gives the chance for uh, couples to join us as well, which mm. is always lovely. Yeah. Um, but then our, our Wiseman walking uh, trips are definitely built around comfort. So we tend to offer them in a more of a day walking uh, uh, sort of in-to-in style is probably the best oh, way nice. to describe it, to lodge. And uh, that obviously means hot showers, warm beds and, uh, you know, a few more comforts along the way. I think our Nepal trip is probably the exception to the rule there with no no showers because we do use tea houses in Nepal. Yeah. but. Um, again, it's a fantastic experience to even stay in a, in a tea house in Nepal and, and, and see how people in the Himalayas, you know, the bathing is different, you know, it might not exist. So, yeah. you know, in, in certain places and that's just, again, part of that uh, mind-broadening experience of seeing yeah. how other people do. Absolutely. Yeah. And just because we do it a certain way doesn't mean it's the right way, does it? <laughs> That's right. You often yeah. come home from a country like Nepal and you almost feel, why am I showering every day? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like if people in the mountains don't need to do it, why do we do it? So, yeah, you want, you, wonder, you start to question then all these things we do as a socially constructed yeah. Um, standard. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So, and yeah, I, so, yeah. I notice on your website you also offer some self-guided trips. So what are they? Yeah, so self-guided is uh, when we have, uh, we only often have one trip a year that departs guided for each of our destinations. It's rare for us to have two. I think Japan is an exception this year where we do have two trips going, but we often only have the one departure a year at a time of year that we've selected because we think it's the best time to go. But that doesn't mean that everyone can necessarily go at that time of year. So we have added a few more self-guided um, opportunities for people. And at the moment, uh, we have a few on there and more coming. Um, and the idea behind that is if you can't travel with us, you can still travel to those destinations. And because we are a full service travel agency, we have the ability to 
source, um, you know, through some excellent suppliers, a similar experience, I guess, to what you would get on one of our group tours, but obviously without a guide. So Right. Okay. So they yeah. can go to all the same places, for example, and That's you organize right. the itinerary. That's exactly right. So, for example, our Japan trips, we have uh, two different Kamano Kodo products that we sell. And if you can't come on those tours, we can actually offer those as a self-guided experience. And, um, yeah, they're very easy to, for us to put together because we already have the relationships yeah. in place. So, it, it, yeah, it's, it's quite good in that sense. And, and also, too, a self-guided package is customised. You can add nights, take nights yeah. off. Um, there's so much flexibility. So for some people that perhaps want to walk slower or uh, faster even, you know, we can uh, put things together so that it's right for them. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And I know you also offer a Strong Daughters program, which is based around mothers and daughters going out into nature and having a um, challenging experience together and c connecting. Um, so Tina Jamison, I believe, runs that program. So I'll be interviewing her um, it coming up in the next few weeks. So I'm really looking forward to that. So I, I love the way you focus on, you have some focus on women and mothers and daughters. It's, it's really wonderful. Um, yeah. It's a fantastic program that um, Tina and I were talking about when we were both doing our leadership training together and she piloted it with uh, some friends initially and then I just says, suggested to her, you know, would you like to make it a program with Big Heart Adventures and uh, see where it goes? And the first year I think we did four events and this year we've only done the one uh, just with a lot of commitments for both Tina and myself. We just haven't had the time to offer any more uh, events for this year. But um, we love the idea of getting mums and daughters together. Again, it's just such a unique offering. No yeah. one else is really offering what, what we do. And, of course, even though we've tried to isolate the beautiful relationship between mothers and daughters, of course, not every mother has a daughter or we've had requests for mothers and sons and daughters oh, yeah. and dads. And it's just, okay, we'll just start with mother, uh, with strong daughters and see where that goes. But um, the benefits for, for, for the women and also the children that come out on these events is this connecting to nature, which, um, you know, no one goes home from these events not enjoying themselves. It's just... The joy, I think, of being in the outdoors yeah. is just reignited. And for a lot of mums, they haven't done any of this since they were a child themselves. So, yeah, that therapeutic nature of, you know, getting your dose of vitamin tree is just, um, yeah, it's just so beneficial and I love it. Vitamin tree, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's vitamin C for the ocean and vitamin tree with the trees. So, yeah. <laughs> well, interestingly, but not surprisingly, uh, being out in nature and connecting with nature is just coming up time and time again in my podcast, yes. um, particularly when it comes to the topic of mental health and mental well-being. Mm. So I'm, I'm finding that really fascinating. Um, and Absolutely. Could you tell us, this might be hard for you to narrow down, but um, what have, have been some of your most memorable adventures, perhaps for a, you know, a good reason and maybe for a... Um, a bad reason, like if something went oh. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think memorable. Um, I'll start with the, the not so fantastic because they're the ones that tend to come to mind first. But, yeah, look, <sighs> soft adventure, walking, you know, people can trip and fall and have all sorts of um, bizarre, um, I suppose, health incidences that even they weren't expecting themselves. So I think for us and for me personally, dealing with some of those 
you know, uh, wrist fractures and um, oh, yeah. uh, you know, people having nasty falls and things come to mind. But um, the way people support each other through those events, again, is where people bond so much tighter and they do maintain those friendships outside of the trip and continue to walk together. And I just, I love that sometimes, even though there might have been an incident that someone did get hurt, you know, by tripping over or slipping them, but yeah, it seems to bring people together in a really lovely, caring way. So that would probably be my, my the most memorable sort of incidences that I can think of that unfortunately um, weren't uh, such a great outcome for the person who got um, injured at the time. But uh, some of our most, some of the most memorable adventures I've had probably would predate Big Hearts. Yeah, predate it because. Um, some of my very first multi-day walks, I was just so underprepared and, you know, mildly hypothermic walking through alpine regions with, you know, I was wearing steel cap boots and didn't even have the, you know, proper wet weather gear and things like that. And even though I was soaked to the bone um, and marooned in a hut with my husband and, and a few other strangers, <laughs> some of those friendships that we formed that night in this one little hut in Tasmania on the overland track had uh, you know, kept friendships alive for years afterwards. I think for like 12 years after that, we still uh, got Christmas emails and, you know, um, kept in touch with a couple of the people that were um, stuck in that hut with us due to this bizarre weather event that just came out of nowhere. So, yeah, so that would probably be one of the more memorable experiences. Um, but, yeah, I've got plenty more that are travel-related for sure. So I don't know how long you've got, but, um, but yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, I've got quite a few other little ones where, you know, I've been left off of... Um, standing on a train platform watching a train take off with all of my luggage and my passport. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was a bit scary. Um, husband was on the train with all the gear and I just, the crowds were so thick, I just couldn't get on the train. And <laughs> the train stopped and I was like, oh, okay, I can try and get on. And our tour guide at the time opened the door and pushed the conductor out of the way and just picked me up and grabbed me and put me on the train. And I just oh, you were sat so there lucky. Like, oh, yeah, so it's just little little events like that that come to mind that obviously ended well, but um, you know, at the same time, makes you want to crave adventure. Crave makes you crave adventure again yeah. because you know, living life on the edge a little bit. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. much more than going into the office and getting a cup of coffee. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And then a final question that I like to ask all my guests, if you could recommend two things that people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? Uh, I would suggest if, you, if you're not living near the hills and trails, it's totally fine. There's lots of coastal areas as well um, in Adelaide, if you're an Adelaide listener, um, where you can take that 20 minutes to 30 minutes or one hour that is completely for you. Um, I believe that even the, I guess, the most fearful person, even if they parked their car in a car park and went and stood next to some trees and just sat there and um, closed their eyes and just listened to birds, listened to the sounds around them. And if they're not into listening, maybe using um, sight instead to really highlight 10 amazing things that you can see just from where you're sitting. It really does give you a sense that you are not alone that your that the world is far bigger the universe has far more beautiful things to think about sometimes than your own worries and your own concerns and it does have a real calming effect on a lot of people so 
And I also say this to people that perhaps aren't even fit enough to go walking. And I know that that can be the case for some people that they're just not physically able. And so, yeah, my, my advice is if you can do that, for, if you can sit there for 20 minutes, that is awesome. But if you're active and mobile, get an hour in there if you can. And yeah. I mean, you never come home from a walk feeling sad. It's usually feeling fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's my, my advice. Mm. I really like that. 10 amazing things. That's great. I'm going to try that in a minute. I'm going after this interview, I'm going for a run. So a trail Fantastic. run. So I'll yeah, awesome. Yeah. That'll keep me busy for a while. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And look, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that needs that kind of uh, reminder um, for my own well-being. at times. I think, you know, I like most people have high levels of anxiety around things and I have a history of um, some depression in my 20s and I just think that well-being plan that you have to make for yourself to keep yourself well has to involve something that has all of those lovely, uh, I suppose, endorphins attached to them. But also if you can do that in nature, it... it the endorphins almost can um, aren't as important because it's just immersing yourself amongst it. And um, I went for my trail run this morning, just like you're about to go, and it was the best thing um, that I could have done to start my week. And uh, I even took, you know, a minute of just complete silence up on a lookout today just to remind myself because even when I go running sometimes, I'm just hell-bent on getting to the finish line yep. that I, I needed to take that minute to just show some appreciation and some gratitude to the amazing earth that we yeah. live on. <laughs> We're so lucky, aren't we? We have to respect it. Oh, Absolutely. Thank you. thank you so much, Lisa. It was such a pleasure to have you here today. Oh, thank you, Amanda. It was an absolute um, honour to be on your podcast as well. And it's been just fantastic to share just a little bit about what I do. And yeah, yeah thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So that was Lisa Murphy, adventurer and founder of Travel and adventure company called Big Heart Adventures. You can subscribe to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button and while you're there, click on the bell to be alerted when new episodes are available. You can also subscribe on your favourite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify or Google Podcasts. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Direct links to all social media can be found on the subscribe page of my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. If you would like to contact me, you can send me a message via the contacts page on my website. Please feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed, and I'll do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. We put in a lot of time, money and effort behind the scenes. So if you enjoy Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast and would like to make a contribution via Patreon, PayPal or by Amazon to help ensure we continue to provide you with excellent content, please visit the contribute page on my website. Finally, please take a minute to leave a rating on iTunes. It improves visibility and will help me source excellent guests. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.